Hey everybody, it's Randy and I want to welcome you to The Vine to Zero. Today I'm excited to have Julie Alexander on The Vine. Uh, Julie is the director of iOSHA for General Industry and she also heads up the Whistleblower Investigation Unit for the Indiana Department of Labor. Uh, just a quick snapshot of Julie's background. Uh, she is uh, she holds uh, uh, her bachelor's in uh, biology from Ball State University and she also has her uh, law degree from the Indiana University Robert H. McKinney School of Law. Julie has a diverse background. After graduating from Ball State, she spent about eight years uh, as an environmental health and safety specialist. And from there, she went back to uh, earn her law degree from IU, uh, spending time with as a uh, deputy, deputy attorney general uh, for the Indiana Office of Attorney General for about eight years. Uh, she also served as a public defender. And most recently, uh, she spent the past seven years as, as the director of iOSHA and um, the head of the Whistleblower Investigation Unit. So I think you'll enjoy our talk today. Julie and I cover a variety of topics. We have a really good back and forth with respect to our, uh, our history, and, and uh, she, she shares a lot of good stories uh, relative to her time with, uh, with the Indiana Department of Labor and, and uh, serving in the capacity of director. So uh, we also hit on the 2018 incident summary that Julie prepares every year. And we close by talking about uh, some of the important uh, initiatives that are coming out uh, with Federal OSHA and iOSHA. So I hope you enjoy episode six, which Julie titled Inside Indiana OSHA. Okay, well, Julie, welcome to the Vine. Thank you. It's great to have you today. Um, Let's jump right in. We're connected uh, through our work on the board of uh, Indiana Board of Safety Review, and uh, that board is appointed by the governor of the state. And uh, could, maybe could you give the the audience uh, or the listeners a quick snapshot of that board and what they do? Okay, sure. Uh, the Board of Safety Review uh, is for employers to um, uh, for better word litigate their citations that. Um, they may disagree with uh, that are issued to them through Indiana OSHA. So um, they have a number of uh, remedies before the Board of Safety Review. Um, they can um, take an early settlement agreement, an informal settlement agreement, and then um, if they still don't feel that uh, uh, those citations are applicable to uh, their facility, then they can file a notice of contest with the uh, Board of Safety Review. And then um, um, the Board of Safety Review has an administrative law judge, and they hear evidence and see uh, evidence uh, from both sides. And we have an attorney uh, from Indiana OSHA who um, litigates our side of it. And then um, the Board of Safety Review uh, issues a final order on those, um, decisions. Sure. Okay, great. Yeah, that's, that's great. And I've, uh, I think I've been on the board, I don't know, the years run together, but at least maybe <laughs> three or four years and, and that's where we connected. And so I, I thank you for coming in today. I, I'm looking for, I've been looking forward to this for several weeks and I think you have a lot of really good information that we can cover today. So let's jump right into your background. Um, I noticed as I was getting ready for the, for the interview that, uh, you're a Ball State grad, so yes. go Cards. Go Cards, yeah. <laughs> and um, you've got a, a really interesting background. So you, um, let's talk a little bit about that. I, I noticed that you know after Ball State, you actually spent uh, eight and a half years as an environmental health and safety rep, right? I did. I did for the Marion County Health Department. Um, I did a lot of um, environmental um, sampling. Uh, I was also on the Hazmat uh, Task Force team where um, we are called out at all hours of the night to do uh, air monitoring for uh, the fire departments, um, establishing hot zones. Um, uh, a lot of times when um, we've had uh, employees that have gone down in um, sewers that have passed out and, and uh, we run hoses and sample the air. Um, so we would respond at all hours of the night and then also did... Um, well water sampling, stream sampling, and uh, uh, soil sampling, lead sampling, noise sampling. And we've done uh, sampling or measuring for appropriate lights uh, for workers and all kinds of things. So. Sure. Okay. And then uh, from there, you 
it looks like you went back to school, right? How, how did, did that? How did that all come together? Well, I got involved in a um, super fun site and and discovering a major lead problem on the south side of Indianapolis, and uh, we found it through well sampling mm-hmm. in the area and correlated it with the childhood um, lead blood sampling that was increased in that area also. And then um, it led us to an old battery smelter. Um, The EPA uh, was notified and came in and took four inches of soil off all around the neighborhood. And so, um, so I worked with a lot of attorneys uh, representing potentially responsible parties and I decided I wanted to uh, go to law school and and work on the legal side of the environmental health and safety so okay yeah and then from so from there law school and then maybe just give us a snapshot of what you've done since law school Uh, since law school I did a brief stint with the uh, public defender's office um, but then I went to Work for the Indiana Attorney General's office, and I worked for several years as a, a legal attorney representing Indiana Department of Environmental Management. Um, while uh, as a deputy uh, attorney general, I then went to um, work for um, Indiana OSHA litigating their cases uh, on contract between the Attorney General's office and Indiana OSHA. I think that was back in 2008. Okay. I worked there for four years as their litigation counsel and uh, then moved into management as the Director of General Industry in 2012. So. Okay, so you've been the Director of General Industry since 2012 yeah. uh, for IOSHA, and you're also over... Um, are responsible for the whistleblower discrimination investigation unit, right? Yes. Yeah. So, can you um, maybe give us a give us some information or talk a little bit about uh, each of those, I guess, unique roles? <laughs> okay. Well, the whistleblower um, protection program is um, where employees. Uh, file complaints with Indiana OSHA when they feel that they've suffered an adverse action from their employer for uh, voicing safety or health concerns. And so we have um, we have 120 days to investigate it and then recommend to the Indiana Attorney General's office whether or not we feel it has merit and needs to be filed in, uh, in state circuit court. And... Uh, so we have a, a number of, of uh, cases. We usually end up with about 120 cases a year. Okay. Um, not very many are litigated. Maybe six a year. Okay. So. And then what about on the on? You mentioned your team or your staff. So on the general industry side, what? How big is your team? Uh, so I have 21 compliance officers that go out and investigate, and I have. Um, three enforcement supervisors and um, one whistleblower supervisor. And then I also am over the intake duty desk where, uh, where we call <laughs> like for, we call command central. Okay. Know, right. Where all the complaints, um, fatality reports, serious injuries, uh, get processed. Okay. Now do you get out, do you get out in the field? quite often or, or not? I don't get down too much I have gone out in the field mm-hmm. um, when the state fair stage collapsed I okay, was right. I was legal counsel then and I went out on the uh, on those um, investigations and interviews quite a bit on that one okay yeah so I know just from um, sitting in uh, you know so on, on the board uh, when you come in um, and talk about the different cases. I mean, you can, I mean, you see kind of the yeah. the bad of the bad, right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. We just, uh, you know, uh, what was it? Two days ago, we just, or yeah, two days ago, we had the man trapped in the silo. Oh right, yeah, yeah. yeah. And IMI, sure. Yeah, so we had someone go out on that, and they were out there uh, while he was still 
trap. So, and we are so thankful that that he lived through that. We, uh, that's that, unbelievable. That is unbelievable. Yeah, we. Were, I was actually at home when I saw that on the news, and uh, was talking to my daughter about that. She's home for spring break from college, and she was like, "How, how does that happen?" You know, and um, it, you know, uh, and then reading about it and how they were attempting to rescue. Um, oh yeah. Rescue him for what? Eight hours or yes. six or eight hours. It was eight hours. Yeah. That he survived that. Yeah. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about IOSHA. Anything new? What's happening at IOSHA? Anything that you can talk about or you want to? Well, we're still looking into, um, for Indiana OSHA, we're looking into a local emphasis program on warehousing logistics, um, because our, um, forklift, injury rate is so high right now Mm -hmm. um and we're hoping to kick that off maybe in the fall um focusing on um forklift training uh falls from docks slips trips and falls uh, material handling and um a little bit of battery acid um and ppe things like that that would be uh, hazards common to the warehousing and logistics area. Mm-hmm. So, um. Well, I know, I know um, a few weeks ago you sent out uh, the serious injury report, and I think you publish that every year, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, one of the things is I was reading through that, um, and unless I misunderstood it, it, it looks like to me um, that – we actually had an increase of what, like 68% in serious injuries in 2018? Or, or is that due to improved reporting, hopefully? Or is that? Is um, that... It's been, we, the law came out in, uh, or the regulation came out in 2015 uh, to uh, uh, require employers to report serious injuries. Mm-hmm. And we've seen a steady increase um, since 2015 uh, but 2016 and 17 kind of leveled out but it really has increased uh, in 2018 so uh, there was a 37 percent increase in amputations last year there were 131 fingers amp- yeah, amputated in just Indiana yeah 131 people yeah impacted yeah unbelievable uh, how do those numbers track to, to federal do you uh, federal OSHA uh, has uh, actually similar numbers. I yeah. met with um, representatives of federal OSHA and other state plans in mm-hmm. Utah uh, about three weeks ago, and uh, federal OSHA provided a similar uh, report on their numbers. Uh, the main difference is they they don't go out on as many amputations as we do. They go out on 35% of the reported amputations and we're going out on 75%. 75. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, when a serious injury is reported, uh, we don't go out on all of them. Um, there was, uh, there was, 710 last year and so with 21 compliance officers we can't go out on all of them right and so um is that as i noticed as in that report you were talking about the rapid response investigation is that where that comes into play where you can't make it out yeah yes so we uh have the uh we send the employer a notice saying that uh we're not going to come out investigate but we would like you to conduct your own root cause analysis um, and send in the documentation with your corrective action plan. And then we have um, someone review them mm-hmm. in the office and uh, uh, close them as satisfactory or not satisfactory. And if they're not satisfactory, uh, then we'll sign it for investigation or further follow-up. Okay, so how would you, how do you define when you say not satisfactory? Are, are you talking about just content of the report or how do you... The corrective action oh, plan corrective is what action. we're looking for. Okay, yeah. primarily. Okay. Yeah, so if, if there was, if you did have a guarding issue mm-hmm. and somebody um, had an amputation and you documented it with photos and um, you 
took pictures of the new guarding and, and we can see that the hazard has been abated, then we would say that's satisfactory. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but we pretty much go out on all amputations. <clears throat> I, I saw another um, in the uh, in the report. Um, it looked like an increase, uh, or actually not maybe not an increase, but the number one cause of hospitalizations. Can you talk about that? The number one cause of hospitalizations is uh, slip trips and falls. Mm -hmm. um, we get all kinds of slip trips and falls reports. Um, most of them are, believe it or not, just slip on ice. Wow, okay. So we, uh, at Indiana OSHA, we've had two employees. Um, so we uh, had to do our own corrective action plan and uh, buy ice cleats for our mm -hmm. um, compliance officers so that they could use those. They've slipped in the parking lot. We had one that was out for a year with some neck and back injuries. And then we had another one that uh, slipped and hit his head and had stitches so okay and then um one of the other things that you highlighted in your report was inspection versus investigation um can you maybe explain what you were trying to communicate there maybe is the differences between between the two uh, inspection is when um, you have a serious injury report, you've reported it to us, um, and then it goes through a process um, of triage whether or not we decide to um, send a compliance officer out or whether uh, we ask the employer to do their own root cause analysis. So the investigation is, is when the employer does it and the inspection is when the compliance officer comes out. Um, so we have, um, we have a little bit of a triage policy uh, or guidelines mm -hmm. that we use to decide whether or not to um, come out to the facility. So we have gotten things like amputations where uh, a, a worker stands out on a dock and the wind blows a door shut and they had had their hand in the jam and we've had amputations like that. And so those we're not really gonna uh, come out on. We're more interested in uh, the machine guarding, the table saws, the radio saws, um, and um, those kinds of um, reports. Sure. One of the things, I had somebody um, ask a question as we were preparing for this, uh, we, uh, we put out there on our last uh, podcast, if you had any questions, we were talking about you coming in as, as an upcoming guest. And um, I did have a, a couple of questions that came in. One was related to, um, you know, we're in, you know, trying to improve uh, and share and learn as much as possible, whether you're an employer or consultant or uh, whomever, right? And we're trying to make sure that as we continue to go down the safety journey, build the culture. But one of the questions that came in was related to uh, Michigan OSHA and their fatal facts announcement. Have you seen that? No, I've heard about it on their okay. website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just, so the question was really, does does IOSHA have a plan to maybe develop something like this? So, and I could see like, you know, we have for our clients, you know, uh, you know, following an incident, we put together a safety alert or a safety flash or whatever the case might be. But is that something that you might foresee coming down the path or? Uh, it's certainly possible. We've had conversations uh, and I've been a part of some of those conversations. Um, I know Federal OSHA used to have a similar ticker that mm -hmm. would run um, with employer names and everything like that. Um, I, I think we have concerns about naming certain employers. Sure, sure, but, right. Um, and then the safety alerts, we have been talking about uh, that as far as going through um, the VPP, uh, the partners uh, that are um, VPP mm -hmm. members um, and sending out uh, safety alerts. Um, um, the, the problem is I don't know where they would come from, if whether they come from my intake unit when we have things coming in and saying this is what happened or... Um, after uh, after I have an informal hearing, um, informal hearings are um, where the employer just wants to 
um, talk to the director and do an informal settlement negotiation. Um, they want to go above and beyond what's required by the standards to maybe get a penalty reduction. Mm -hmm. And so um, I get a lot of really good insight into what actually happened uh, on a lot of these accidents. Sure. So if we circle back to, um, you brought up the incident this week um, with the silo, what type of a role um, does your team play in an incident like that? I mean... Uh, in general, we're not emergency response. Mm -hmm. uh, it's rare that we get on site when emergency personnel are still there. Uh, it was a great thing uh, to get out there uh, a couple of days ago because we were able to um, still have access to witness coworkers, uh, firemen, uh, and we got a lot of good information about um, the accident itself, rather than going out, um, you know, a week later, four sure. or five days later, and then you've got to hunt down who who was working with them, what's his phone number. Try to recreate what, yeah. And, and yeah, and try to find out what fireman was out there. That's right. just crazy. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard. Um, sure. But um, I did have uh, some information that... Um, Federal OSHA is starting a new program targeting uh, program where they are picking random closed re rapid referrals, RRIs, and um, going out on inspections to uh, verify that they were actually um, satisfactory responses from employers and in that um, they were closed appropriately. So once there was an incident, they did the rapid response investigation, uh -huh. and then they're just randomly going out and picking those to see if they have actually followed through on the recommendations or what they said they were yeah. doing. Yeah, kind of yeah. do what you say you're gonna do, right? That's yeah. One our, that's one of our core values, do what you say you're gonna do. So. Um, we haven't, uh, <laughs> India hasn't, Indiana hasn't um, decided to do that yet. We're gonna sit back and see what what happens with uh, their their program? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I I would expect a little bit of litigation on that, but I don't know. Yeah, with twenty one uh, compliance officers, you're probably stretched thin. Very already. thin. <laughs> Very <laughs> right. thin. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And they're not all up to speed. Uh, it takes a long time to get them trained. Mm -hmm. uh, it's about six months to a year. They go to the OSHA Training Institute in Chicago, mm -hmm. and they have six core classes, and they all are about two weeks long. So it takes a while, and then they have to um, shadow other compliance officers. Mm -hmm. So, so what, what, how do you measure, I guess, the success of a compliance officer? Oh, we have uh, uh, quite a few measurements that uh -huh. um, we're held accountable to. Um, from the federal OSHA, they fund us 50%. So um, okay. we have to be as effective as their program to keep our funding and to keep our program. And uh, so they have a number of metrics and measures. We call They call them SAM reports, uh, state activity mandated measures. And so those, those uh, go down to the compliance officer. Um, of course, we have a number of inspections. By, I don't want to say we have a quota. We have, um, it has to be, we have to keep up with the, with the national average. It's not something that we're focused locally on increasing mm -hmm. numbers constantly. So um, then we have, um, we have all kinds of um, measurements for um, lapse time, how long it takes to open an investigation or inspection to um, citation or closure. Um, and in compliance rate, our in compliance rate is what we call nunners when we have an inspection when we don't issue any citations. And so uh, we like to keep that percentage down. It's also an indicator that we use for um, their hazard recognition skills. So okay. if they're not seeing the hazards, then their in compliance rate is going to be higher. 
I gotcha. Right, mm-hmm. right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be a challenge too because you you're building a core of um, you know trained observers, right, to go out and evaluate hazards and um, what about like subject matter expertise? How do you how do you how do you develop that? Like so for the maybe utility industry or um, yeah. Well, we had um, uh, subject matter expertise uh, categories. Um, we had a investigator in southern Indiana that uh, was our logging expert. We have a lot of uh, logging uh, fatalities from trees falling on loggers. And um, so we pair with other agencies like DNR, um and associations to get more training. Mm-hmm. Um, the other um, specialty training we get is from our OSHA Training Institute. They We have the Core 6, but then um, there are specialty classes where um, we have inspectors that can go to um, spray finishing, the spray finishing and spray booths. That's a really complicated regulation mm-hmm. um we sent two to uh i want to say colorado for the um um electrical transfer generation and distribution okay class yeah. okay and that was hands-on we're actually looking to um spend um some time with the uh, vpp partners and learn more of the best practices uh, as a compliance officer, we don't always see the best practices sure. in the field. So um, there's combustible dust training, uh, hearing training, and um, grain um, grain facilities. Mm. So we ha- we try to get um, as many trained up as possible, but. We are having a lot of trouble with um, turnover because the salary is so low. Okay. So I, once we, my, was going to be one of my next questions is what kind of a, a retention rate do you have? And Not very good. Not very good. Yeah. yeah. We get them trained up and then. And then they yeah. move on to industry or. Yeah. 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 What about, uh, you know, one of the, um, I talked about this on an earlier episode, but um, I think they're just you know, having worked in this, uh, safety profession since, you know, for the last 20 some years, um, when I came out of school, one of my first assignments was, um, with, uh, a company and we were, um, I was supporting surface mines. So I was dealing with, um, MSHA oh, okay. and MSHA, um, I probably, I maybe was spoiled a little bit and maybe that's where I don't have this, this fear, this, un, I don't, I, maybe fear is not the right word, but, um, I think it's a misconception. So when I was dealing with MSHA, they would come out on scheduled visits. So you know that they would hit our facilities at least twice a year. Oh right? yeah. So, um, but I guess one of the misconceptions, I think when I talk to different clients, I think they're, they're really worried about OSHA, IOSHA showing up on a job site. Right. And or a project or a manufacturing facility. And, you know, I mean, so can you talk about that and how do you? Sure. Well, you used to, uh, on the general industry side, this is different than the construction sure. side because there's a director that's over construction. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the general industry side, uh, when I first started, uh, we did have programmed, we call them programmed inspections where they're targeted and they're random. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't do those anymore. We haven't done them for several years. Um, occasionally, um, we've probably well, we've probably done three in the last two years, and that was more focused on um, the warehousing industry. Um, we don't have enough compliance officers to do random. Um, inspections Mm -hmm. and uh, we get so many of these amputations and complaints that uh, that's all we can do is is service those Uh, and that's why um, federal OSHA you know I I talked about them uh, 
randomly checking these uh, RRI submittals. Right. Yeah. So that's another reason why we're not going to be able um, to start that program anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is Indiana OSHA has to have probable cause to come into a facility. And so we have to have shown that it, if we do a program, just a random, we have to show that we had probable cause, that it was a high hazardous in our industry and that it was randomly chosen. So we have to have drawn a list. Um, and so those kind of um, programmatic uh, inspections take a while to plan um, and uh, draw the uh, necessary data to be able to justify the probable cause. So mm-hmm. when we have a complaint called in from um, an employee, it has to be a current employee and we have to have a written signature so that we have our probable cause. So that if an employer di- dies a century, then uh, if we went to a judge, then um, we would that would be considered probable cause. But mm-hmm. if it's a former employee, or which we have a lot of that are sometimes disgruntled. Right, yeah, um, sure. So we, if an employer refused this in uh, entry, then I, a judge wouldn't, um, would not uh, grant us entry. Also, the, the hazard they're alleging has to be within the last six months. So... Again, if an employer would deny a century, then um, and it, they said, well, a year ago I saw it there, the judge would say that ev- evidence is too stale. You know, right. it, it's, it's not reliable. It's not probable cause. So. But with the serious injury reports, when the, the own employer is reporting um, in, uh, serious injury, then that's, that's our probable cause. Yeah, so for a complaint, are, you, are they typically followed up with the rapid response investigation, or how, how does that? Because I assume if you... Complaints are different. They, okay. um, they are formal and non-formal. So formal is an inspection, and non-formal is an investigation, like the RRI. So they're, it, it's similar in that it's either an inspection or investigation. And so um, the formal complaints are, are usually the current employees. Um, uh, if it falls under a national emphasis program, like combustible dust, uh, hex chrome, amputations, something like that, then, then we can go out on it. Uh, if they're alleging health effects, um, that trumps. Uh, so if they're saying uh, people are getting sick, we get a lot of that from um, the forklifts from the carbon monoxide in the winter building up in the um, warehouses. Mm-hmm. So we do get a lot that we still have to process if it's a former employee, but it is within six months. Then we send the employer a letter saying that this complaint has been alleged this hazard uh then the employer has to respond with um, whether it's true, it's not true, or if it's true, we fixed it, and then we would close it as um, satisfied. And it's it's very similar to the RRI. So uh, we have we do have certain complaints that we tend to process as a non-formal consistently. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a lot of mold complaints. So we don't really have a standard for mold, except for maybe housekeeping standard, and that's if we see visible mold. Uh, we do, uh, we can sample. The problem is it takes a lot of time, and 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 we do go ahead and do it, but um, we measure the uh, temperature, humidity, and the levels of um, carbon dioxide, and. Um, and so we'll send out a letter saying whether their atmosphere was conducive to mold growth and what, what they can do as far as ventilation and things sure. like that. So with your t- staff of 21, I assume you have at least one industrial hygienist in that group? or Yeah. Um, we have, I want to say it's probably 50 to 75% IHs. Oh, okay. 
what we have been doing because of because our we have limited staff mm -hmm. is that the industrial hygienists also are trained as um, safety investigators. Uh, but we have um, three or four investigators that are just safety only. So, um, we like it when we can just send anyone out. We have seven up north, seven in central, and then we have um, six or seven in, in uh, southern Indiana. So they're split up uh, by region. Okay. So if you have... Uh, um Let's say there's a, an accident that you're responding to uh, in an inspection due to a, an injury. Um, if you're up in a different re do you send people out of regions to go cover that? Yeah. So they're not, so there's a crossover or how, how does that work? So if I'm up in the Northern region of the state, am I investigating accidents in this region or are you sending me to the Southern part of the state and having somebody else come up North just due to maybe I've been there and I've inspected that facility or any, does that ever happen? I'm yeah, we, um, we have, um, seven investigators up North in Northern Indiana and the supervisor, um, is based in Michigan city. Okay. Uh, they work out of their home. They have home offices and, uh, we have, uh, one in Plymouth, one in Fort Wayne, um, one up, north of Fort Wayne mm -hmm. and Elkhart area. Oh, and we have one in Lake County. Gotcha. Yeah. So um, occasionally northern Indiana gets um, way too full of complaints and they can't fulfill all the um, inspections that uh, are assigned up there. And so we will send someone from central Indiana. We have we have one person that works out of um, Bloomington, mm -hmm. and um, occasionally he'll he'll go up to northern Indiana to the Elkhart Goshen area. There's a ton of um, RV manufacturers, and um, so they keep us busy, mm -hmm. and so we have to occasionally bring a compliance officer from the other region and go up there. I've, I've really been hiring a lot up there trying so that, uh, cause that takes away from, uh, we call it windshield time right. that takes away from our actual production of, of inspections and work. So, yeah. and, and they don't like driving, you know, three or four hours one way to do an inspection. Yeah. So, um, the, uh, one of the things I, I mentioned earlier was misconception. Are, do you, are there any misconceptions that people have that you think they have about IOSHA or compliance officers or um, or anything that you'd like to say, hey, this, is, this isn't reality? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, the one misconception, um, not about IOSHA or compliance officers, is um, about machine guarding. Uh -huh. um, employers um, always say that um, the machine came this way, the manufacturer made it this way, there's no guard for it. And um, the employers think it should be grandfathered and that it doesn't require one. And so we always have to explain that you have to fabricate or put one on or have an engineer help you um, guard uh, these, um, pinch points sure, and points of operation and things like that. So, um, a lot of, uh, a lot of employers say that, that mm -hmm. this, that's the way this machine came. It doesn't have a guard. It's not supposed to have a guard. So, uh, they don't understand it's a duty for them to, uh, assess the hazard on that machine and that there is no grandfathering. Sure. What about, uh, can you talk about maybe some of the tools um, that are out there, um, either through, whether, whether it be through InSafe or uh, through the, the DOL website or whatever the case might be that um, people may not know about. And sure, uh, InSafe uh, is, uh, is probably one of the best tools. It's a free consultation, um, but it, um, they can come out if uh, 
if an employer needs um, needs um, any advice on sampling or safety or anything like that. Um, and uh, they can also just be called. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can, if you just have a question or if you just want to email them a question, does this regulation, um, um, what does this regulation mean? Does this comply? So, um, and I get a lot of those questions uh, myself. Uh, Federal OSHA's website is really good. There's a lot of um, tools, uh, software tools. Um, mm-hmm. There's a forklift tool. Um, machine guarding uh, tool, there's fact sheets. Those are, I think Federal OSHA's probably got the best uh, reference materials there. Um, I had an informal hearing yesterday and uh, I've been seeing a lot more uh, hand finger training, uh, finger awareness training and hand training where you're putting your hand constantly uh, knowing where your hands and your fingers are, uh, because um, these amputations are just uh, people just set their hand down on on the corner of something and don't realize that a a, uh, a machine is going to move into that area. So, mm. uh, so are you seeing with the the amputations? If you just dial in on that one, um, is it primarily that? Um, they're just not paying attention to how the machine's running or is it, is it a mix of, Hey, it's a lack of guarding or. Um, I've seen, there are a lot of, there's a lot of trends that I've seen. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of it is new employees that aren't, um, monitored long enough. Um, they're not kept an eye on long enough. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, I think one of the videos in my uh, presentation was one where the guy had, the worker had been there three or four days and he was following the maintenance supervisor and the, the maintenance supervisor went over to uh, lock out the saw and the supervisor was actually putting his lock and pulling down the uh, circuit breaker and putting his lock on there and the worker that was following him threw open the saw and didn't realize it has a coast down. It doesn't, it doesn't stop like that. Mm -hmm. And, and three fingers were gone. It was, I mean, and he was like 10 feet away from the guy that's actually locking it out at the time. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, these, uh, new employees keeping track of them, letting know not to, you know, not to jump in, um, we had uh, we had one with um, we just had a fatality with the uh, uh, person got uh, wrapped in uh, auger that they were doing soil borings and um, uh, the coworker uh, was new and so didn't know where the emergency stop was on on the oh, auger. Wow. A lot of a lot of new things. A lot, uh, one another, another one of the trends is um, where the um, the workspace is has deemed safe for one person um, because maybe it has two hands two hand push stop or push starts. Mm-hmm. Um, like on a press or yeah, yeah yeah like that, and a second person. Uh, wants to help or gets into that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen a lot of that. And um, then it's no longer safe because all those um, safety um, devices and, and, and uh, are no longer um, effective for two yeah, for people. For two people, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, all, it's all designed for, you know, whether it's a present sensing device or whatever the case might be, right? Or two-hand controls, for sure, it's designed for... For one person, yeah. We've seen a lot of that. Um, someone wants to come over and help that isn't trained on it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a husband and wife. That's in the uh, another video in the presentation where um, the husband was working 
uh, on a machine next to the wife, and he wasn't trained on it, and she was having issues with a conveyor that was running underneath her machine that was not, uh, it was not uh, doing anything that was related to her machine. It was taking um, waste wood from all over the building out, and um, it was getting backed up under her machine, and he thought he was on a conveyor. She was on a saw. Oh, a saw. Okay. Uh, And it was a pallet saw. Oh. And uh, the conveyor went under it. And he came over to help unblock the the jam of the conveyor. And in this video, you see him um, sticking his hand, his whole head, right down by the blades, his legs. And then he climbs over the saw and then goes on the other side. And you're, you're just thinking, oh, my gosh, it could have been. He lost, um, he lost three fingers, um, but he could have lost it. I mean, it could have got his head. It could have got his leg. Mm. And, and I, the, the trauma to the wife, you know, seeing, seeing that has got to be horrible. Yeah, that's the kind of information that you'd like to see out there, you know. I mean, you know, you hear about it. You see all these things, right? But yeah. it, it's, um, that information's not readily available, right, to learn from. No. You just don't hear about those things unless it's in your report. Now, how would somebody get a copy of your report? Is it available online or? Um, it's not available online. Um, I I can send it out to anyone. Okay. Um, yeah, okay. if they request it or um, yeah, we'll put in the show notes. We'll well if we can include your email address if that's okay. If somebody oh, yeah. wants to reach out to you and yeah, I, or you can include the presentation. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know if you maybe can upload we can, it. We could try. We could try. <laughs> We've never done it, but maybe we can try this time. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Um. A lot of, a lot of the injuries. Um. Employers aren't show, aren't communicating where that the line is where employees cannot cross, uh, where it becomes a lockout tagout situation. Mm-hmm. Um, the employees they just want to help. They want to they want to keep their production going. They don't want to have to call maintenance. Um, so they just reach in to grab something that's stuck on a roller or just. Um, I I have this vision of the we had a bakery and they, they just, some donuts were getting um, jammed up. So they just reach in to grab the donuts and then it's an amputation. Because once you reach into that point of operation, it becomes a lockout tagout. You you can't right. do that. It's gotta be. Uh, well, I had a, an incident. Um, this has been a long time ago, 19, I don't know what year, <laughs> maybe 2000. It's, it was uh, mid, maybe 94, 95. Um, at one of the surface mines uh, that I was supporting and um, a laborer was cleaning up um, around the tail pulley of a conveyor and he was back in this uh, area where you just, you know, you couldn't dark and you really couldn't see. And um, he had removed a guard um, and reached in and was cleaning. This is why the conveyor is moving, right? The tail pulley and, uh, so he had removed a guard and he was working with a coworker and the guy was like, Hey, don't do that. You know, you shouldn't do that. And, um, he was clearing rock cause the rock will get up against the, the tail pulley and, and then create an issue and, and cause damage to the, either the tail pulley or the conveyor and, or the conveyor belt itself. So, uh, long story short, um, the coworker he was with was kind of a senior guy. This was a younger, just kind of what you were referring to earlier, somebody that maybe wasn't uh, trained adequately or whatever the case might be. But again, during a time where on something like that, you would hope to see interlocks on a guard when it's removed. So the conveyor shuts down or at least pull the, pull the stop cord. So the conveyor stops. Um, so puts a guard back on, walks around to the other side, same thing, reaches in, takes his arm off, like, you know, two or three inches from the top of his completely off of his. And, uh, um, you know, he, he, uh, they actually, you know, lifelined him to Indianapolis and it was a lengthy, uh, lengthy deal, uh, obviously. Um, and, uh, but again, it just kind of goes back to, 
you know, maybe training. And in that case, you could identify a lot of things with respect to lack of lockout tag out and not, you know, shutting the conveyor down and taking a shortcut or whatever the case might be, not wanting to shut the operation down. Uh, so, yeah, uh, in this uh, presentation where I was preparing um, some of the data, uh, I actually was this year we went a little step further in analyzing the data and um, we tracked the data uh, to determine what days of the weeks the um, most injuries were occurring on and um, I think it was like March 21st or 22nd last year had the highest number hmm. of serious injury reports um, and accidents um, the trend I noticed was that either the day before or the day after a holiday. Um, those were the biggest biggest days for um, accidents and Thursdays. Huh. Thursdays, not by much, but Thursdays. Now, that's Indiana average, so your facility might be different because, um, you know, you have different um, uh, schedules or um, different uh, variables that you may have meetings on on certain days or sure. or deliveries or you know your production may, their production may be totally different and maybe not with the uh, Indiana average but that that's what we're seeing with the um, uh, tracking on it that we did this year that was the first time so okay um, so um, back to your background a little bit um, so you've, um, now that you're in the government sector, how, how do you like, obviously you've been in there for, for a while, you've yeah. been in that for a while. So, um, you prefer that, I guess, over, uh, over private or, or industry or, um, I don't know. No. I, <laughs> <You just> been, <laughs> I've never actually worked in the private sector. Okay. Yeah. Um, it, I have oh, I toyed with right. it yeah, the last couple with, of years. Yeah. Um, so I've yeah, on the legal side, um, mm. I've I've done some uh, um, law firm work mm-hmm. uh, in law school, and and I enjoyed that. Um, I've I've kind of gotten um, set in my ways in the government now. So, um, but I uh, I have been looking uh, more in the private sector, but. Um, I don't think people like having a former director yeah. <laughs> in their, in yeah. their staff. So sure. a little it's a little, maybe. yeah, <laughs> legal counsel and former director. It, it sure. must be. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, Julie, I, I really appreciate you coming in. We're, we're get, kind of getting close on time. So I wanted to wrap up maybe by talking, uh, if you could talk a little bit about, uh, what's coming down the path, uh, maybe, it, uh, with uh, federal OSHA and um, that employers should be paying attention to and, and maybe getting ready for. Okay. So um, I met, as I said earlier, I met with um, representatives of federal OSHA um, about three weeks ago and they, they gave us some uh, heads up that um, the, they are looking at uh, adding activities to the table one list of activities for silica that, um, they would consider being um, under the uh, action limits and not have to be monitored for. So they're going to add some more activities to that. Um, then the lockout tagout standard, um, they're going to be updating it as far as the strengths and limitations of some of the newer technologies. You know, um, you were talking about interlocks and right. I-beams. And sure. um, there's a lot of um, logic, computer logic, that goes uh, programming into um, Mm -hmm. uh, machines. We had a woman lose her arm on an industrial laundry washer, and the logic wasn't set right. And so it's really hard um, to know whether an employee should know that their uh, computer logic was not set up right to uh, break as soon as the lid is opened uh, or coast. And so, okay, yeah. Um, they are also looking at uh, updating the uh, powered industrial trucks standards. Um, 
it's it's an old one um the wording is old and um there i think one of the standards says that it's um the employer is not requiring the workers to slow on curves or, or um um honk oh, okay. and things like that so um if if an employer comes in and shows that they have a sign up that says um, you're supposed to honk, that's technically requiring them, whether they're actually right. enforcing it or disciplining employees or, or um, um, making sure that those policies are enforced is something else. So uh, there's a lot of wording that's, that's outdated. So um, they're also looking to update the mechanical power press standard. They're going they they are saying that uh, mechanical there's not many ma- mechanical power presses around although um, I did hear from one of my supervisors that he didn't think that was right but um, there are um, a whole lot more hydraulic and pneumatic power presses um, that are out there and that's the newer technology and so that'll go right along with um, the uh, increase in amputations. So we're working, working on getting those amputations down. Uh, one of the other things is they're looking at exploring options for lowering uh, blood lead levels in workers um, that are exposed to lead. Um, and then um, they're also looking to update the HASCOM standard to um, correlate with the global harmonized uh, system so and they also have some well indiana osha as i said earlier we're we're going to be looking at um actually that would be a programmed inspection that we don't have we're looking to do start our um forklift uh warehousing logistics targeting so um but you know it would be a very small number of um, employers because of our staff limitations. Sure. So, but it would be the ones with the higher DART rates. So, um, and then in 2019, the outreach initiatives um, that federal OSHAs, um, right now they're doing the stand up for grain engulfment prevention. Um, and then April, uh, in the spring, when the potholes, it's National Work Zone Awareness Week. Sure, that's and, new. Yeah, that's a, that's oh. a big one. Indiana actually participates uh, and has uh, significant um, awareness going on that week also. Uh, they'll have another campaign in April for Safe Summer Jobs, a uh, social media campaign for young workers. And May is Fall Prevention Stand Down. And... Uh, the end of May is heat illness prevention. In June, they will have a trench safety stand down. And then August is the safe and, safe and sound week. So that's where they're promoting their um, um, safety programs and um, getting employers to have a uh, uh, uniform uh, safety program in their um, facilities. Sure. Okay. Well, great. That's... Uh uh, those are all upcoming. Um, oh, and um, we just got a memo from Federal OSHA um, saying that they were going to start um, sending us um, uh, referrals for hazards that um, the Food Safety and Inspection Service uh, federal workers have seen in the meat, poultry, and egg uh, facilities here in Indiana. So if you have like a USDA uh, inspector or food safety inspector come out and they see uh, a hazard, then uh, they are going to start um, sending those to um, the uh, respective state plans. So you might see an increase in inspections in those areas. Great. Well, thanks for that information. Uh, one last thing I wanted to ask you, um, if we could, is um, if you could look back on your career, I like to ask this question, uh, what would you say to Julie uh, coming out coming out of college right now or coming out of school (laughs) would you tell yourself uh gosh or any advice you could offer new uh maybe safety grads coming out of school or getting into the industry 
uh, it, safety grads coming out of school, we we take interns. Okay, there you go. <laughs> and <That's> a- <laughs> Indiana OSHA is the best place to intern because you get exposed to all kinds of industries. You get exposed okay. to logging, the meat, egg, poultry, the turkey processing, um, the... You know, we go to all the automotive plants. We go to the RV plants. Um, okay. Well, great. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll be sure to um, uh, make sure that we post um, your information out there so people can contact you. And what's the best way to do that, you think? Just uh, by email. email. J-U-Alexander at D-O-L dot I-N dot G-O-V. Great. Okay. Well. Thank you very much for coming in, and now it's, uh, it's time for you to name your episode. Name my episode. All right. How about Inside Indiana OSHA? Inside Indiana OSHA. Okay. Well, thank you very much. with thank Inside you. Indiana OSHA with Julie Alexander. Uh, thank you for coming in, and, and maybe we can get you back on in the future to, to kind of give us an update and that see where things great. are going. That would be great. Okay. Thanks, Julie. Thank you.